Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, and wherever he lays his hat is his home. It's Benny Horowitz. That is true. That is true. <laughs> I'm a hungry. I'm a hungry Jew today, Denny. Oh my gosh! I bet you. See, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten since five o'clock last night. But every time I think about complaining about it, uh, I think about how short of a period of time it actually is, mm. and that's one of the reasons I do this every year. It's not really out of a fear of being like striketh down by God <laughs> if I don't. I mean, that's not really the way Jews work anyway. That's kind of your thing. Um, it's more just, you know, that that exercise where you get to remind yourself, oh, I've only not eaten for like 12 hours. Yes, I'm hungry. But, you know, when you start considering your place in the world and what other people got to go through, yeah, not that hungry, you know? See... Now, I think that it's it is really cool to have a religious holiday where like you like sacrifice something. Christians and Catholics have kind of made a joke of Lent, like, okay, like you gave up chocolate, cool guy. But right, like right. like like I see with Amin going through um Ramadan, yeah, where like they don't eat for like the whole day. And I'm like, it's pretty cool to like sacrifice something for your religion, kind of r- reminds you of the origins of it. So bravo. Um, Christians, I think we're making a big mistake. I think it would mean more. I I, I think the holidays yeah. would mean more. You invented this like nice, easy one, like the confessional, you know, where you just like pop in every once in a while. You're like, oh, I did this, and you know this, you know, Jews. I mean, I don't even do it the right way. I'm not supposed to be on a microphone doing this sort of thing. I'm supposed to be in like a dark room. I think today, like shrouded in my own. Uh, thoughts of the year i'm pretty sure actually i don't even really know how real jews do this (laughs) all i know (laughs) is that like i said it's this uh kind of a reminder to yourself about like what other people have to go through and it's just like it's a good uh exercise of will you know there's just like i feel uh we have a very indulgent you know, nature about humans and, you know, we get used to things and accustomed to things, especially good things so fast that if you just every once in a while pull away one of your basic comforts and strip it back to what's really important, it's very helpful, I think. So I like doing this once a year, you know? Well, if you wouldn't mind indulging me, I'd say let's get into this day in music history. Please. All right, so famously in 1967, on this day, Keith Moon, drummer of The Who, rigged his bass drum to explode at the end of My Generation during the group's appearance on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. He didn't realize that the stage crew had already set the charge, The resulting explosion cut Keith Moon's legs, singed Pete Townsend's hair, I think also giving him permanent hearing damage throughout his musical career, and startles the the fellow guests, Betty Davis and Mickey Rooney, who were just hanging out there. Uh, So obviously, this is one of the most iconic, I guess, um, images of the Who going wild and destroying things, but... I hadn't realized early in their career that 
you know, Pete Townsend got angry at a guitar early on. Uh, Keith Moon, like, threw a cymbal or something, and it became part of the Who's, like, shtick almost to make sure that they were smashing something at the end of the show. And they almost resented this after a certain while where they like, like, I don't, this didn't, this actually happened organically. It's not a shtick, but people were expecting it and would like boo them if they wouldn't break anything on stage. So part of the reason they were doing this and going so over the top was almost like a tongue in cheek kind of watch this. Now we're just going to explode the whole stage sort of thing. But Keith Moon was just such a animal, really, like yeah. uh, in drums and life that, of course, it went like this, where it went too far and uh, took away his guitar player's hearing because he was, uh, from all accounts, someone who was a uh, Tasmanian devil, just a tornado of uh, excitement and drama followed that guy around now question follow up here for you personally mm-hmm. when you guys covered bob o'reilly and, and you had, had that whole thing any thought of ever ending it with a fake drum set that exploded was that ever in the budget yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yo, my 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 man b fal is not into <laughs> stage stage stuff like that like i you don't yeah like it just wouldn't have played right but also that's when you're not, um, you know, you're not trying to be the who yeah. like I I'm not Keith Moon. I'm I'm a very cautious person. We're very different people from all <laughs> accounts. You know, I wouldn't drive a Rolls Royce through a, you know, gang of skinheads and run over my best friend and do all the crazy shit Keith Moon did. I think the funniest thing about learning that song was that uh, I hadn't realized until like prepping for that song that he literally didn't play the same thing twice, especially live. Um, and you could listen to version, a version, a version of that song. There's all this weird different stuff, kind of different speeds, things pulling around. So when I heard that, I did make it a real point to, you know, kind of harness that spirit in the cover where I was like, I'm not going to be too concerned with like, the tightness of how I'm playing this or the exact part, I'm going to Keith Moon it and I'm going to like use the feeling and use the energy and make sure that that's conveyed, you know, more importantly than the actual part. Cause he wasn't even playing it the same way twice, you know? Well, it's a great cover. I'd highly encourage anyone to go stream that. But if y'all listen to this, you've heard it by now. Anyway, Benny, speaking of recordings on this day in 1931, the first Long play recording of a 33 and a third RPM recording was demonstrated at the Savoy Park Hotel in New York City by RCA. Uh, The venture was doomed to fail, however, because of the high price that they set on record players at the time, which started at about $95 in 1931, which is about... Wow. About twelve hundred dollars in today's currency. Luxury, exactly. luxury item. Luxury. So what? What uh, does it say in the article in nineteen thirty one? What was the music they used to demonstrate this machine? Ragtime and a whole bunch of those like sheet music was what people wanted to buy rather than the record so that they could play it in in their own home. It was like kind mm-hmm. of trying to transition from hey you can play it or you can just kind of listen to it in your own house, but. The practice was revived and became mainstream at a cheaper price in 1948, hence the record industry. Because that's what I wonder. I mean, in 31, you know, having the ability to play the record is one thing. 
but someone had to choose uh, which music are we deciding to record and deciding yeah. to try to play at that time. I wonder if like, you know, the musicians who were on the original 1931 RCA record, like know that they were the first, like literally we created right. music in your home. It's kind of cool. Kind of a cool thing. And, you know, I think people know financially, at least that kind of price tag, you know, then you had the depression coming up and that wasn't happening for a long, long time. So 12 honey, 12 <laughs> honey for some music in the house. A little much, a little much, a little, a little rich for my blood, as they would say. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, Benny. This week in music, we had a little bit of controversy. On Wednesday, Rolling Stone released its most recent top 500 songs of all time. And like with any list, it's had some movers and shakers over the years. People have gone up, people have gone down. So before we get into any of this, uh, I want, because I don't want to sway the audience's mind, I want to get, I'm going to read the top 25 in real time and we can react as we go. Okay? Yeah, yeah, I played on. Coming in at number 25, a guy we talk about a lot on this podcast, we get Kanye West featuring Pusha T with Runaway, top 25 song of all time. That's a little insane. Yeah, okay. Number 24, Beatles, Day in the Life. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Number 23, David Bowie, Heroes from 1977. Uh, Then we get down to 22, The Ronettes, Be My Baby. I feel I, I feel like in 2004 that one was probably a lot higher. The well-deserved song here at number 21, Billie Holiday, Strange Fruit. And then here's where we start to get wacky. Number 20, we got Robin Dancing on My Own from 2010. Come on. <laughs> come on. Like, come on. <laughs> and you want to know what that's? The next one is Imagine by John Lennon. So John Lennon, Robin, same. Crazy. Um, number 18, we get Purple Rain. Okay, love that. We talked about a, a lot about that. Uh, number 17, Bohemian Rhapsody. Number 16, Beyonce. Jay-Z, Crazy in Love. Better than Imagine. All right. Okay. Uh, number 15, The Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Uh, number 14, The Kinks, Waterloo Sunset. Uh, number 13, Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter. Uh, number 12, Superstition by Stevie Wonder. Uh, number 11, God only knows the Beach Boys out of the top 10. And then here we go. The 10th greatest song of all time, according to Rolling Stone, Hey Ya by Outkast. <laughs> Shake it like okay. a Polaroid picture, baby. Number nine, we get Fleetwood Mac, Dreams. Uh, we At number eight, Missy Elliott, Get Your Freak On. Number eight song of all time, Get wow. Your Freak On. Okay, okay. shout out yeah. to Timlin. Number seven, Beatles, Strawberry Fields Forever. Number six, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? Uh, number five, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Nirvana. Uh, number four, Bob Dylan, Like a Rolling Stone. And I mean, I feel like it's it, it, it's kind of crazy that the namesake of the magazine is just barely in your top five, but I digress. Uh, Sam yeah. Cooke, Change is Gonna Come. Love that one. Uh, number two song of all time, Public Enemy, Fight the Power. And the mm-hmm. number one song of all time from 1967, written by Otis Redding, but performed by Aretha Franklin, Respect fine with me all of it so, no okay. no <laughs> well, i mean let, all right let's backtrack okay yeah. one second here and we always have to discuss the same way we did with ours like you know criteria age relevance like how we need to read these things so 
I didn't have time to click through 500 pages of that uh, a terrible website to navigate through. But, you know, I go 50 to one. And number 50 starts as a Daddy Yankee song, <laughs> a 2010 song that I didn't immediately know, which immediately begs the question, like, can I truly dig into this list in a real way? So let's even take the the collected time that 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 we've been judging things like this. Let's mm-hmm. say since what, the 60s, we've been starting to make the lists about who's the best and you know, maybe 60s, 70s, it started. So we're literally like 50 or 60 years into having the body of work we're putting into these lists. Now, I would say the entire generation of like streaming and after, basically sometime in the late aughts to now, you know, I'm not really on top of it's not my music, mainstream music that comes out at that time. Pop culture is not made for me anymore. Like I'm now a 40 year old man who loves the things I love. And sure, I can dabble with new music. I can get into it. But the uh, idea of its relevance is not really my decision anymore. And that what's interesting about that is it, it almost uh, pulls like nearly 15 to 20 percent of the timeline of this list out of my wheelhouse the same as something from the 50s and 60s was and i just recognize it from other things so it's not like i was around for the ronettes i just saw a bunch of fucking movies that have that song in it and because of nostalgia it's now something that is in my head now this like daddy yankee song the kanye song the you know, Outcast, Missy Elliott, the things I know a little more about, Robin, like these things. If someone was 13 years old in 2010, now they're 24, and this was just like the song that was on when they were kids, and now it's turned into one of those instant classic statuses, I can understand why it's on the list, and I'm going to refuse to be the self-righteous old man who says it shouldn't be on the list. Um, I also think, you know, one of the reasons these newer songs are on the list is probably just numbers, you know? Um, It's hard to quantify because of how we quantify, and it used to be radio play, then it was record sales, then it was like video MTV success. Now it's all streaming and digital numbers. And those numbers, like... Uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix and how many records he has sold like pales in comparison to how many human ears have heard this fucking Robin song, you know, because of just the sheer numbers and access and different ways to get music. So because of that, this list is uh, leaves itself to be massive and confusing, but I do have some immediate problems with it. I mean, just this, you know, top 25, you list three Beatles songs, uh, a kink song I don't know anything about. I love Public Enemy, but like, Number is 10, Fight yeah. the Power really a song that's like part of like the musical narrative of our life? It's a very important song. It needs to be there. But when you're talking best songs, to me, those are the songs that become like a part of culture, become part of you 
become one of those things that you just walk around with every day. And besides for like Radio Rahim, I don't know how many people are just like walking around with Fight the Power every day. It's a cool song. It's important. It's not the second best song in the history of recorded songs. Like, let's just be fucking real (laughs) about it. So a lot of this list is done in a way I can't really understand. I love Sam Cooke. I don't think that's number three. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I love Nirvana. Maybe that's number five. But when you start taking in the whole history of music here, the thing is absurd. So that's my thoughts on the Rolling Stone Top 500 <laughs> is essentially the idea that I'm like opting out of caring because I don't think I can understand it anymore. Oh, but unfortunately we do a podcast, so you kind of have to care. No, but this is, <laughs> this, this is, you know, I feel like, and I applaud the pivot that Rolling Stone has made over the last 20 years in, you know, they're trying to stay up with the times and contemporary and embrace diversity in the writing staff. And the list reflects that. I mean, the songs that we grew up with, right, are, you know, not the same as if you grew up in a different socioeconomic background. So I I, I think a lot of what you're seeing with the list reflects that. But I feel also like people, whether it be in sports list or in a, a music list, discredit the influences because they perceive what came next as better and stuff like that mm-hmm. and we're gonna see this when the nba puts out their top 75 list next month um you're gonna have to remove some people who have since passed from the top 50 greatest list of all time yeah. and that's that's kind of disrespectful to me now this isn't the grammy museum coming out with this list thank god i think people would ride if the grammys were just like here's what we're gonna do top 100 list and then just take people off it's it's rolling stone it's different but Benny. But is there any truth to that? Let me stop you there. So, okay. so maybe is that one of the ways that you can justify a song over time? And I'll use Bohemian Rhapsody as an example. That song was like widely mocked when it came out. It got more and more famous as the years went on. And then it kind of got lost to the narrative. And then boom, Wayne's World comes out. Yeah. And all of a sudden this queen is back. That song is back. It's made its way back into the national, you know, the conversation of, of culture. And then, you know, time goes on, time goes on and boom, here comes the movie, the documentary, you know what I mean? At the right time, not the documentary, but, uh, the movie. you know, the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the song gets big again and it kind of stays relevant again. And that's the reason Bohemian Rhapsody is on the top 10 of this list. And, you know, uh, purple haze is not, um, yeah. you know, Peace of my heart is not. Uh, there's not a fucking Who song on there. There's not a Led Zeppelin song on there. You know, there, there's not any number of the peers of Queen at that time are not on that list. And it's because they managed through luck or the brilliance of the song to stay relevant through the generation. So maybe that's how these uh, songs from the past continue to stay on these lists as they Mm -hmm. have to continue to stay socially relevant somehow well can we go through the list compared to the 2004 list by by artists because it's kind of interesting when you compare it side by side who kind of came on and who kind of came off don't even get to michael jackson (laughs) 
All right, Benny. Well, speaking of Queen, in 2004, Queen had Bohemian Rhapsody and We Will Rock You on the list. Um, granted, Bohemian Rhapsody in 2004 was the 163rd song. Now it's up to 17. Uh, in 2021, Under Pressure with Bowie, as Bo- Bowie is really important to people my age for some reason. Like, I get it. He's great, but like he's like ultra important. Um, and Bohemian Rhapsody is 17. So that's kind of interesting. All things that have been present in culture outside of the song. So you're exactly right. I, lo- I, can't, I can't listen Under Pressure without crying still. Mm. It gives me all the feels. I mean, just kind of going back to that Bowie thing. In, in, in 2004, Bowie had Heroes, Changes, Ziggy Stardust, and Young Americans, four songs. He's got, what's it, seven songs now in 2021. He's got Heroes, Life on Mars, Space Odyssey, Changes, Young Americans, Station to Station, and Under Pressure. Well, I think with Bowie, I mean, it also, you know, that's someone who is aging in a different way because I think it took time to realize the importance of what he was doing, uh, like aesthetically and, um, and sonically, you know, he was taking chances that people weren't so sure about at the time that have aged into like, you know, entire genres of music. Like you could make the point if he doesn't go on a space odyssey (laughs) in the seventies, does Radiohead exist? Right. So I think those are when an artist who kind of took a leap um with the thing they were doing and time is actually the thing that proved that leaf was worthwhile it's also the reason i have zero problem with outcast at number 10 Mm. because of the cultural relevance of hip-hop now and the fact that hip-hop is pop music and that was one of the biggest shifts at the time that took like a really legitimate hip-hop artists like way into the mainstream you can't get through a fucking wedding without hearing that song still yeah you know so i i think that song actually very much deserves to be in the top 10 yeah i think you know it, it it's interesting with uh like like pop culture and stuff like that how like the it's kind of not the culmination but it's it's the rise of like the social movement like you're seeing a lot more black artists and openly gay artists or, or artists that kind of have reflected that culture and and i think you know with the rise of the lgbtq plus movement i think they feel reflected in bowie and i feel like that's why he's risen up the list as much as he has all right prince stays about the same uh you know kind of building off of the bowie thing here in 2004 madonna only had like a prayer now in 2021 she has like a prayer vogue and into the groove i mean too late if you ask me she should be littered in the top 50. <laughs> this is crazy. But that's also another thing. I, you know, if you ask me, that whole generation of songs is a little, and maybe it's because of my nostalgia, because of my age, but man, I think like 1980 to 1990 is like high underrepresented in these lists, you know? Yeah. I, the fact that I don't see any Whitney Houston or Madonna. Stuff like that in the top 50 is, is a little sad to me. Yeah. Uh, one of the big losers on this list, Benny, in 2004, U2 was all over this, uh, mm. having six songs. They cut in half in 2021. 
Now they just have one with or without you, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So people are mad about the iPhone. Th- yeah, man. yeah, exactly. They're still pissed. <laughs> <laughs> still pissed. So never live that down. That guy could cure AIDS. It won't matter. You put a record on my iPhone, you goddamn pig. It's amazing. It's amazing. The other uh, group that's unfortunately lost a bunch, and we gave them all of the credit when we did our best record of all time conversation the clash only down that two songs in 2021 yeah no good i thought they would be risers at this point Mm. because of the you know again we talk about cultural relevance and like the fact that every hip-hop artist is trying to look like a 77 punk i thought would kind of increase uh that stuff as being uh influential you know and it's kind of the same thing we're seeing uh, Nirvana's representation on the top 500, cut in half, Beach Boys, Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. So all like you're kind of starting to see at least what this staff reflects as the great in, in, in greatness. Um, they're taking a lot away from that and they're moving it to other areas. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Bob Marley stays about the same. The The real disrespect here is to Sly and the Family Stone. I get all of those other groups. Um, in 2004... Six now in 2021, they just have family affair and and everyday people dance to the music yeah. off the list. Yeah, I mean maybe that's a reflection of like the person who wrote the list the first time was a teenager in the 70s and had nothing but Sly and the Family Stone songs in their head. You know, that's where these lists like we really got to think of it like uh, you know. This is the Rolling Stone list. It's mm-hmm. like how Bill Simmons made his list <laughs> right. of basketball players. <laughs> like, this is one group of people's opinions about what's best. I mean, you ask me the fact that there's not like, you know, fucking Metallica songs in the top 100 is a damn travesty. You know, the fact that there's not Iron Maiden song. There are types of music that are just heavily underrepresented on these lists that I could go on and on and on about. Now, do you want to talk about a big winner of this list? Sure. Bruce Springsteen, huge winner on this list. In 2004, he only had Born to Run, Thunder Road, Born in the USA. Now in 2021, he's got Born to Run, Thunder Road, Atlantic City, Jungle Land, and Rosalita. Top 500 wow. song of all time. Come out. Okay. That's what happens. You do a podcast with Obama, <laughs> and you start away. drinking some baby's blood, <laughs> oh, and now all of a sudden you get extra songs on the list. <laughs> this is how it works, Jenny. <laughs> Another big surprising loser, Al Green. Al Green had four songs on in 2002. Now he's only got Let's Stay Together and Love and Happiness. Crazy. That's fair. I'll slip it away a little. But, you know... I'm okay with that one. We talked about how Nirvana lost some ground. R.E.M. gained some major ground. In 2004, they only had Losing My Religion and Radio Free Europe. Now, in 2021, uh, they've added Night Swimming, 160. Okay. Well, again, another another artist that, like, uh, as time goes on, you realize the influence of R.E.M. That's a a really early influence on a lot of different things, you know? I could, I could see that one. In the same vein, the Talking Heads have two songs. They went from unranked in 2004, right, to having Once in a Lifetime at 28, uh, and mm. this must be the place at 123. See, this is where, I mean, we need some consistency. Yeah, there's zero like, consistency How on can you list. go from, like, 501 <laughs> to 28? 
in 15 years. It's just, yeah, you know. And, yeah. And I think that this would change if they redid it in not next year, but the year after this when his biopic comes out. But Elvis, a big loser on this list. In 2004, uh, he had, geez, like close to 10 songs. And on this list, he only has Suspicious Minds, Jailhouse Rock, Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah, I mean, well, the same the same artist who jumped up to number two, you know, I think famously called him a racist in songs, right? Mm. Or was that NWA? But I'm just but saying, on like, the list if too, this yeah. is what we're talking about, the new cultural delineations yeah. and things that are happening. People that are, you know, if Elvis was or not, he's associated with a world that's not always looked at too fondly, you know? Uh, Phil Collins, though, in the air tonight. 291 of all time. Crazy. Went from unranked to on the list. Though, I bet you his involvement in the movie Tarzan brought in my generation. Listen, that Phil, the <laughs> Phil alone, yeah, <laughs> brought that song to 291. Say the drums aren't important, you know? <laughs> now, this is a super interesting one, and I promise we're going to be done with this soon. Leonard Cohen went from unranked in 2004 to having Hallelujah and Suzanne on That's in good. 2021. So there's is zero that, consistency though. Like zero. Is that, but is that is that the uh uh the posthumous votes? I bet there's oh, if yeah. we went through the list and saw who passed away from 2004 to 2020 and and the way that they uh you know, but but again like, you know, maybe we're just discounting 15 years of new artists coming in and crediting Leonard Cohen with with influence, you know, Hallelujah gotten bigger and bigger, his version and the Jeff Buckley version. I mean, he deserves it. He's sticking around. And Tom Petty also getting the posthumous vote. He went from just having Free Fallen in 2004 to having American Girl and Free Falling in 2021. So that's the list. I'd like to see a list of the people who were... Uh, now who were on the list in 2004 who no longer appear yeah that would be because you know as any list goes people like to complain about shifts and new people coming on who's coming off yeah you know if you want new people on who's coming off so i'd be curious let's get that list together for the next episode i feel like next time they do this list i feel like we should be consulted on this because i feel like i feel like our top 500 would be very very different i'd have some classical i think by then we're gonna get a hall of fame vote denny it's okay (laughs) i'd have some glenn miller in the mood there top 500 song of all time Uh, you'll have carol (laughs) king oh three (laughs) times three times in the top 10 carol king definitely at least hey it's too late baby hey it's too late all right let's move on to some hoops here while we it's kind of the dead period but you know who the best guy for a dead period in the nba is benny Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving, absolutely. So <laughs> this past week, my old buddy Nick Wright uh, used to work th- with him at Sirius, had a great show there. He had a tweet that says, there are a handful of Kyrie trades that potentially make sense for the Nets. Kyrie's agents have made it known that Kyrie would simply retire from the NBA if Brooklyn were to trade him. Um, so I want to know, you know, a lot of the times agents work in mysterious ways. Uh, they, they use us media folk to try to get their narrative out there to try to either increase trade value or diminish it. Do you think there's smoke or is this just a bunch of BS here? Uh, it seems like BS, but it kind of doesn't matter because Kyrie like 
jumped on the BS, the hook, line, and sinker, and started tweeting about. I, I mean, it was funny. I took his tweet as sort of an anti-mask, anti-vax sort of thing, <laughs> which I was like, okay, Kyrie is anti-mask, like big fucking surprise. He's been, you know, like this is the last person who would surprise me about making his own decisions against science, uh, considering the historical precedents there. But, uh, you know, apparently this one was more of a metaphor about who's behind the mask. I hadn't realized that until you said it. Allegedly. I don't know if I'm Allegedly. right there. I'm just speculating. So, I, I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> By the and way. Kyrie, Kyrie has us uh, immersed in mystery, as usual. Um, just for I mean, context I, here, Kyrie's tweeted, because I'm, I I doubt that most of our audience follows Ky- the in, inner workings of Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he right. tweeted, my mask is off. Now take yours off. No fear. So it, it could be about masks in public, or it could be directed at uh, the Nets front office. So continue. Yeah, yeah. Or a double entendre, <laughs> as Kyrie would like to say. Um, I mean, here's the thing. It's... It's it's like it's like a broken record at this point, right? Um, as far as the fact that you're gonna get Kyrie, you're gonna get drama and missed games, right? Like this is just par for the course of that person. I mean, at this point, Kyrie hasn't played more than seventy games in a season since 2016. Yeah. He's only played over seventy games three times in his career. Um only played 50 plus games uh, last year, uh, 20 games the year before. Like he's getting to that point where the inconsistency is part of part of the game. You know what I mean? And I was actually starting to willing to accept it because I still think we need him to win the championship. You know, uh, if I just simply look at this roster and I see the way it's constructed, and I see the age and injury troubles of some of the people that are on there, I still very much see a scenario where I'd love to have Kyrie Irving in the playoffs. But at this point, like, how much does the parity outweigh the play? Um, And are the Nets, you know, baiting him to almost get it? I believe he'll retire. Again, it's, it's just this big mystery, but... Uh, I, I don't see a, a trade being a realistic thing at this point. Do you also, who's going to trade for this? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like which with the, with the kind of money on the table, like who, who's, who's going after this for anything the nets find even remotely worthwhile. The Sixers. <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> all Ben Simmons over here. <laughs> all I'm going to say is, you know, like I know that, Nick Wright just didn't wake up one day and just decided to tweet this out for like the retweets or to get people to tune into his FS1 show. There there was some chicanery behind the scenes where a guy was like, hey, like he was talking to one agent about something else and the guy shares this and he's like, oh, I should probably tweet that out. This is coming from the Kyrie camp. It's pretty obvious, you know, you don't need to have a uh, a private detector to know where this kind of came from. So what's the what's the upside from Kyrie's camp to this rumor being out there? Dead period, people talking about you. I think he kind of needs the juice right now in in that regard. But 
No, like if there were actual talks happening, like like if say the Nets were trying to get Ben Simmons from Philly, right? And mm-hmm. Kyrie was dangled out there in the deal, that they'd be like, "Oh, if I go to Philly, I'm I'm just going to retire." Then that makes all the sense in the world for Kyrie's camp because he wants to be close to home. He wants to be in New York. Yeah. I mean, Philly's not so far. I mean, JJ did it. Reddick <laughs> drove. Reddick drove from Brooklyn to Philly every day. So you can do it, Kyrie. Come yeah, on. Yeah, my wife used to make that commute. You can do it, Kyrie. You're not going to be driving yourself. <laughs> All right, so each and every week during the football season, we're going to pick these games. We're going to flesh it out. And at the end of the season, one of us is going to have to do something stupid um, that we will let that we will decide at a later date. All right, so Benny, week two picks. Uh, cue the music. We're going to have uh, some fun little thing going on. Before we start this segment, I'd like to preface it with the fact that I would like to make the stakes of our year-long competition open to the tune-up listening audience to decide our fates. Neil, if you're out there, <laughs> uh, you know... <laughs> You're the reason Denny was afraid to do this. So please, I'd like some suggestions for uh, what Denny will have to do after I beat him in the year-long NFL picks ranking. See, I'm taking the humble approach that I'm going to lose this, but I may just shock everybody and win every... No, I'm going to shock you, Benny, because Benny doesn't think that I can do this, and I'm just hanging under the radar, but no tattoos not getting a tattoo sorry that's hate, fair that's fair. hate needles um <laughs> yeah, all right let's get to the pick shall we uh let's start off bangles bears sunday bears minus three and a half benny what do you like like the bungles mm. i like the bungles going in strong burrow's looking good uh yeah yeah taking cincinnati all right, let me ride with, uh, I think they eventually end this quarterback controversy. They give Justin Fields the reins here. Um, yeah, I will take the Bears by over a touchdown or uh, by over a field goal. Why not? All right, moving on. Los Angeles Colts. The the Rams are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Benny, who do you like here? Rams all the way. They're going to cover that. Yeah, give me that, too. Give me that, too. Um, we're moving on to Denver Jacksonville, which, by the way, uh, the Broncos here favored by a touchdown. I like that. Yeah, I uh, I like the Jags to cover. Wow. I, think, oh, okay. uh, I don't think they're going to win the game, but I think they uh, show enough life next week to cover the spread. Yeah, I mean, the, there, there's already been rumors after week one that Urban Meyer is going to take the USC job, so they are an, an, an absolute mess. All right. Moving on to Bills Dolphins uh, for the pride of Miami and all all of that good stuff. Uh, Bills minus three and a half. Be- Benny, who do you like? Uh, I like the Bills. Same. I like the Bills in this one. Cool. We are in uh, agreement there. Um, all right. So we're moving to Raiders Steelers. Um, Steelers five and a half point favorites. Benny, do do you like that number? Uh, no, I don't. I actually no. like the Raiders to, to save face. I know Steelers came out looking looking for blood in week one, but Raiders coming off that really exciting kind of unifying win. I think even if uh, they don't win the game, it's going to stay close. I'll take the Steelers at Heinz Field. I don't think that uh, 
I could see them winning by a, a touchdown. All right. Let's take it to the link now, Philadelphia, where Kyrie's about to play basketball. But we're going to take it to the football side of things. 49ers, Eagles, Niners, minus three here. Benny, what do you like? I like the Niners. Me too. Make a nice bounce back, bounce back game for the Niners. I like that too. I, I like that too. All right, so we're both going Niners there. Uh, Saints, Panthers, uh, Sam Darnold, Jameis Winston, QB matchup. Uh, <laughs> Saints minus three and a half. Benny, what do you like? I like the Saints all the way here. I think they're going to ride it. I, I've been a Jameis Winston the enthusiast, may, maybe not believer, but enthusiast <laughs> for a long time. It seems like all that talent is finally getting the screws tightened. I can't wait to see. I'm all Saints right now. Yeah, I, I like the Saints as well. I, I think Jameis, you know, you don't want to overreact to week one, but I feel like Jameis is maybe starting to find his footing as an NFL quarterback. I'm overreacting to week one. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, listen, there are certain indicators. There are some things you can and cannot teach. Jameis Winston possesses all those things that you cannot teach. So if you can even get him to to have the, the modicum of discipline it takes to, to stop at those turnovers, he's got all the talent in the world. I can't wait to see more. All right, let's move down the road right here to MetLife Stadium Sunday. We have the Pats visiting the Jets. Pats minus six. Uh, do you like Mac Jones and company to come into MetLife and get the W? I do. Me yeah, too. I do. I think uh, there's a bad history here. Jets don't do well. They looked so uh, just messy. I, I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, I'm going with the Patriots. Me too. I'm going with Mac Jones. I really like what they've been doing up there. And, hey, New England's got themselves a quarterback again, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, moving on, we have Texans, Browns, huge number here. Browns minus 12 and a half. Do you like the Browns by almost two touchdowns here? Yeah, I saw this spread a little less before, but I'm sticking with the Browns. It's a very one-sided game, even though OBJ is still out for another week. Uh, I don't I don't think the Texans stand much of a chance. Browns looked good in their week one loss to the Chiefs, um, but I don't know. The number kind of scares me a bit. It, it is week two in the NFL. We don't know exactly what we're going to have here. So I'll take the Texans plus, uh, plus 12 and a half to at least cover that all right a couple more games to get to here uh falcons buccaneers uh bucks minus 12 and a half see that is a big number that i'm not scared of you're not scared of that i'm not i'm not too scared of that tom brady going up against the falcons 23 lead come on give me tom brady and minus 12 and a half i'm taking the birds love it give me the dirty birds (laughs) keeping it close this week all right, moving on. Vikings, Cardinals, Cardinals minus three and a half. Benny, who, who do you like here? Uh, I like the Vikings in this mm. one. Yeah, give me Kyler Murray in that whole squad. You, you know, I feel like people forget J.J. Watt on the Cardinals now. So give me the, the pride of Arizona staying strong. All right, big game here. Cowboys, Chargers, Inglewood. Chargers minus three and a half. Benny, who do you like? Yeah, I, I, you know, the the cowboy. I liked the way Dak was last week. It was it was exciting, um, but I, I don't think I can go with the Cowboys in this game. I think the Chargers have just a little too much. I'm a stick with the Chargers too. 
because it's just fun to bet against the Cowboys. What can I say? Um, all right, moving on. Titans, Seahawks. Uh, Seahawks minus six. Benny, what do you like here? I, I like the I like the Titans in this game to cover. Yeah, I think Seahawks win, Titans cover. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that 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 same thing. I think that this one's gonna be close. I think that that spread's probably a a little bit too high. Um, yeah. Then we have oh, I think this is the Sunday night game. We have Chiefs Ravens. Uh, Chiefs minus three and a half. Yeah, Chiefs all the way. Yeah, I'm going. That with was a that. heartbreaker last week. I don't know if they. They can recover to beat the Chiefs in that game. Don't think so. And finally, last game of the week, Monday Night Football, Packers-Lions. Huge number here. Packers minus 11. Benny, uh, who do you like here? Yeah, I know it's this vengeance game for the Packers. I'm sure sure they'll win it, but I like Detroit to cover. They're a uh, respectable enough squad this year to, to keep it close. That number's a, a little bit too big for me here. Give me the Lions. I don't think, you know, I could see Aaron Rodgers balling out. But after last week, I don't know. I think that this one may be, as Lee Corso says, closer than the experts think. So there it is. Our first gambling picks. Our foray into trying to get a hold of some of this money. Um, even no. though I know for me, I'm not putting my own money down. Are you kidding me? Um, but plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune up podcast at gmail.com. Send us your picks. Send us uh, what you think of the RS top 500 list. We'd love to hear uh, tune up podcast, gmail.com, two P's in there. If you want to follow all of our content at the tune up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all over the place. Uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to the feed on Apple. Subscribe YouTube as well. If you want, want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1. Number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Everybody. Love. Everybody. Show's ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>